Specialty Stories Podcast, session number 137. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. And as this episode comes out, we are in the middle of our COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you are all safe, hanging out at home, just going out as little as possible. That's what I've been doing now for 19 days as I record this. So my thoughts are with you. I hope you are all safe. But this is something that, especially for you as you're going through this path to becoming a physician, you are seeing what it's like to be a physician in this country. You are seeing how the world responds, how the United States responds, and how physicians respond to to pandemics, to illness, to injury, uh, right out in the news every day. So hopefully this motivates you even more to becoming a physician. And for some of you, it may discourage you. And, and that's okay, too, if you're a pre-med. If you're a medical student and it's discouraging, then uh, then we should talk. Email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I have a great guest today, Dr. Patrick Remington from the University of Wisconsin. He's a preventive medicine specialist and a program director at the University of Wisconsin for preventive medicine. We have a great discussion about preventive medicine, what it is and how he got into it. And especially as a program director, kind of what uh, what makes you stand out as an applicant, which is always important. We start the discussion by discussing how Dr. Remington became interested in preventive medicine to begin with. Well, I'd say it was during medical school. Uh, I was interested in primary care primarily. Um, and I was uh, in, uh, intending to go overseas to do an international or global health elective. Unfortunately, that elective was canceled due to civil unrest in Zaire. And uh, I had to scramble in my fourth year, uh, December, January of my fourth year, to find another rotation that uh, would make up for my global health rotation. And I had a, a friend, uh, actually a a friend of uh, uh, my, my uh, girlfriend at the time uh, uh, said, you know, I'm working up at the health department. He was a physician, and he said, I'm doing public health stuff. You, you could come up here. And I went up, so I quickly organized a fourth-year uh, elective, a one-month elective, and I took the seat of uh, somebody who had been assigned to the state of Wisconsin for the Epidemic Intelligence Service. He was out of the country, actually in Somalia, and uh, uh, so I took his seat, and I, for one month, I was acting as if I were the uh, CDC-assigned Epidemic Intelligence Service officer, and it just really piqued my interest. Uh, I worked on an outbreak of a, a fungal infection called sporotrichosis. I worked on a, food, or a person-to-person spread of typhoid fever in a community, and just the excitement of uh, looking at infectious diseases, thinking about a community-wide approach working with the media who were concerned about these. Um, at the end of that rotation, I was very intrigued with what a physician might do 
in in uh, in the, in the practice of public health. So that was my first exposure, and it it took a month to convince me that that was something I would be interested in doing. Wow, that's very interesting, and I'm sure with your background. That you probably have something to say about the the new novel uh, coronavirus outbreak as well, but that's a different podcast episode. Sure. <laughs> well, actually, I, interestingly, just last week I was uh, inter- interviewed on radio. Um, one of the things preventive medicine physicians do is take a community wide approach and think about the entire public. Uh, public's health. Mm-hmm. And so I, I spent 10 minutes on a, a Wisconsin public radio interview talking about the use of isolation and quarantine and and how governments are allowed to do that, how it's in constitutional law and state public health statutes. Yeah. Uh, because our, in, in fact, that day, one of uh, a, a case was identified in our own uh, University of Wisconsin hospital. And so as public health sort of keeps coming back on the agenda, I s- keep seeing opportunities for people to think about what well, who, who is the state public health officer what 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 is a chief medical officer for communicable disease and how does the state public health infrastructure work with the federal government um, on the control of infectious diseases so it's really right you know happening right in front of us this this outbreak global potentially global pandemic is bringing preventive medicine right to the public's eye yeah. And my, my background as a flight surgeon in the Air Force led me right down the public health route. And I, I was the public health emergency officer for the base that I was at the last three years of my service and really got to know the the state of Massachusetts public health office. And it's a, it's very interesting to, to see the inner workings uh, kind of behind the scenes that most physicians, medical students, anybody in the, in the practice don't really understand and, and know what's there. Yeah, clearly the you know, the whole concept of preventive medicine and public health is that we do work behind the scenes. We work on programs and policies, often uh, laws and rules and regulations that provide an opportunity or an environment for people to be healthy. So uh, things like safe water, uh, restaurants that are inspected, uh, immunization programs. And typically when you're involved in patient care, either as a medical student, resident, or uh, practicing physician, your assumption is that these are just in the background, keeping communities healthy, keeping patients healthy. And when an outbreak comes, that's when people, uh, clinicians and uh, the public becomes aware of public health. But in a way, when public health physicians are doing their job, they're not making the front page of the newspaper. They're um, working in the background, doing the things that we need to do to keep uh, people safe you know, where they work or, uh, or uh, uh, you know, go to school or um, recreate. Yeah. What do you think are some of the myths or misconceptions around being a preventive medicine or public health physician? Well, I think, first of all, it's hard to have a myth when you've never heard about it. I think it would be, first I'd say, is <laughs> that there's a general lack of awareness yeah. that preventive medicine is, is a thing. Uh, it oftentimes when you look at a list of specialty options that medical students are uh, provided, that counselors in medical schools uh, uh, provide to students, it's not even on the list. It's generally considered to be a non-clinical residency, although now the current requirements do require uh, continued clinical training. And it's just there aren't a lot of faculty in medical schools who have 
teaching opportunities uh, for medical students. There aren't required rotations. So I'd say, first and foremost, uh, before the myth would be just a general lack of awareness. When residents apply to our program, almost to a person, I hear that I was never aware of preventive medicine when I was in medical school or in my uh, residency training. It was only by chance. And then then the story changes uh, that I met uh, a colleague who was, you know, in that training program or that I, you know, looked online and I just stumbled on the American College of Preventive Medicine website. As I read what preventive medicine physicians do, that's what really resonated with me. So um, I, I, I think that's the um, most important sort of take-home message. Yeah. Now, you mentioned it's a typically considered a non-clinical residency, although there, there's some changes now. What types of patients are you seeing in that case if, if it's a non-clinical residency? As a preventive medicine physician, are, are the majority of preventive medicine physicians out there seeing patients one-on-one like a, a quote-unquote typical physician, or are they doing more of the policy and the behind-the-scenes stuff? Well, it varies. Uh, preventive medicine has three subspecialties. One is called general preventive medicine and public health. Another is occupational medicine, and a third is actually called aerospace medicine, which really comes from the roots of uh, the uh, 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 military sort of issues of going into space or into uh, you know under the sea, um, and very specialized um, medical issues yep. related to aerospace and, and undersea medicine. But the occupational medicine as a subspecialty definitely sees patients usually in a work site, and not only sees patients, but most importantly, develops programs and policies within the work site that keep people healthy, that thinks about worker safety, that think about occupational injuries, exposure assessment, and and providing safe uh, workplaces. And so large uh, uh, companies will hire occupational medicine physicians. Some clinics will develop that provide um, services to uh, work sites. Uh, my subspecialty, general preventive medicine and public health, uh, is oftentimes not uh, involved in patient care per se. I like to say we see the entire community rather than individual patients. So when I began my training program at the CDC, I, I first began doing an epidemiology fellowship, a two-year uh, fellowship called the Epidemic Intelligence Service. And it's CDC's uh, uh, really boots-on-the-ground epidemiology investigation team. And that was that did not involve individual patient care. Occasionally, during an outbreak investigation, I would see people. I might do a, a, an exam. But my role was to think about what, what were the common exposures? How did people who were sick compare to people who weren't? Can we identify an agent? And then implement some prevention program. And so that two-year training, training program really focused on epidemiology and, and public health as opposed to individual patient care. And then my residency, uh, I continued on at, at CDC and did their preventive medicine residency, similarly had no patient care component. And many of the physicians who train in preventive medicine in the subspecialty of general preventive medicine and public health, we're, we're not seeing patients uh, either during their training program or during their career. That changed about five years ago when the college and the uh, residency review committee 
uh, brought back a clinical requirement for residents, and that is about two months of patient care per year, about one day a week. And the idea is that this will keep people who have clinical training. Everybody has to do a, an internship, just like many residencies. We we all do a internship. We all get a license to practice medicine. But then, if uh, for myself, I did mine in internal medicine one year at uh, Virginia Mason Hospital, and then I transitioned to the CDC for the epidemiology fellowship and the residency. Um, <clears throat> if you do that, you have a license to practice medicine, and your specialty is uh, preventive medicine. But five years ago, the idea was with new developments in health systems and needs in the primary care workforce, the idea is let's provide during our training program, in fact, let's mandate during our training program, that residents keep their clinical skills up. So one day a week is is not enough to really develop a deep competency, but it's enough to keep those skills current so that at the end of your residency, should you decide to go into primary care in an underserved area or into a position that uh, had a one or two day days uh, in the clinic, that you'd, you, you would still have maintained your uh, clinical competency. So for someone looking at becoming a preventive medicine physician, someone who's going through this process, right? Most most students enter medical school thinking, okay, I want to I want to take care of people, I want to save them, I want to heal them. And I think a lot of people when they hear about preventive medicine or general preventive medicine specifically, they go, "Well, that's that's not really what I signed up for." How do you help them overcome that hurdle and show them that there's so many more possibilities? That's a great question. Uh, I would say I don't try and have them overcome that because that makes great sense and it's a very logical response. Actually, I, I have a funny story about uh, my uh, career. I spent six years at CDC doing the uh, Epidemic Intelligence Service, Preventive Medicine, and then a career development program. And then I came back to my hometown of Madison, Wisconsin, and did the, uh, I worked at the state health department as a chief medical officer for chronic disease and injury prevention. And so I spent nine years at the state health department practicing public health, not seeing patients, but working on tobacco prevention, cancer prevention, uh, diabetes uh, uh, prevention. And um, at the end of that period, I looked at the university and was really interested in a faculty position that involved uh, developing public health education programs and public health research. So I came to the university and I, so I'm back at my medical school where I got my medical degree and I'm a preventive medicine physician. And I said, I'm going to teach a course, a one credit elective in the, in the evenings. And it's called uh, physicians in public health. And uh, so I posted an advertisement and there wasn't a lot of interest so I then put, I reissued the posting and I said, free pizza. And as you know, as a <laughs> former medical student, that often helps. And with free pizza, uh, I was able to get to about 20, 25 students to come and listen to physicians who worked in public health. And honestly, I, I think the pizza made a big difference. People, medical students looked and said, but that's not, that's interesting. That's not why I came to medical school. And I want to see patients and 
That's why I'm here. And so it didn't really resonate. What I did about five years later is I brought a physician in who was very active as a clinician, but did public health also. She worked uh, about three to four days a week as a clinician, but in her spare time, led programs in global health and community health, and she was um, really amazing. And so I changed the name of the course to um, Physicians in Medicine and Public Health. And uh, we uh, now this elective has 80 to 105 students each year. About half the medical school uh, class takes it. Uh, it's very popular. But what I do is rather than bringing in physicians who are foreigners because they're doing only public health, I bring in physicians who are doing medicine and public health. Yeah. And so I, I, that's a way to introduce medical students to the concept of going beyond the clinic, going into the community, uh, going beyond patient care. And so our medical school, uh, after uh, a few years of, of this experience, actually changed its name from the University of Wisconsin Medical School to the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. It's not a school of public health. It's a medical school, but in its name and in its mission is medicine and public health. And what we say is we trained medical students to be physicians who are outstanding clinicians, but also know how to take care of communities so that the communities where they live work are as healthy as they can be so they can be better physicians. And that has just resonated. Our medical students come here and say, I want to be an outstanding clinician, but I want more. Not, not all of them. Again, you know, we, we only have between 80 and 100 students, uh, but that's a pretty big change. And by the way, we, we, I don't buy pizza. It's, it would bankrupt <laughs> my, my small uh, budget. Um, but they come because of interest in doing medicine and public health. Yeah. Yeah, I think without my my Air Force flight surgeon time and exposure to public health and occupational medicine and aerospace medicine, right? The, a flight surgeon gets all of of the uh, preventive medicine subspecialties. Right? The the the, the knowledge and ex experience is just it, it just opens you up to so much more. I I remember well, part of it being like I was I was part of the shuttle crew stationed at Dover, Delaware, um, as part of aerospace mm -hmm. medicine. I uh, doing occupational medicine, being being at a, an Air Force base. We had F 16s come in, and uh, in the F sixteen, some of the pilots were exposed to hydrazine from the the EPUs on the F sixteens, and knowing like what do we have to do? Like they're exposed, and what is what is hydrazine, and what is it going to do, and what do I need to look for? And it's just it's there's so much cool stuff that is just beyond what you read in pathology and and uh, physiology in medical school. That it's it's just fun. Yeah, and you know what? To get back to your question, I. If you find yourself as a medical student interested in you know patient care, but asking yourself the question, what went wrong here? Why is this person here with a late stage cancer that could have been detected with a a screening test that's free and accessible? Why is what is this disease that is caused by this environmental chemical, and where does that chemical come from, and why are the people 
flying airplanes exposed to it? Can't we have a safer chemical? And asking all those questions, not about how do I take care of this patient sitting right in front of me, but how do I work in my community, the Air Force being a good example, how do I work with the Air Force to make the workplace as safe as possible? What you're doing is really thinking about the context in which people live, about the public's health. And if you're thinking that way, uh, I, I encourage people to think about looking at preventive medicine as either a specialty or as something that you would combine with your clinical specialty. So you can not only take care of patients, but also um, think about the context in which, in which they live. And for me, that's what happened to me. Uh, I had the early exposure to public health during medical school, and then my internship was in an acute care hospital. I, I spent two years at, uh, sorry, two months at Children's Hospital at the University of Washington to uh, to get exposure to pediatrics, and then ten months at uh, Virginia Mason. And we were seeing really people at the end of the uh, what I call downstream, um, suffering from very serious chronic illnesses. And most of them were preventable. And I just kept asking myself, why does this surgeon, why is this surgeon angry at me for having to do a, a, you know, a procedure and drain his chest fluids from lung cancer? And he's smoking. Uh, what is it about smoking that somebody would continue to smoke despite the diagnosis of lung cancer? Why do people smoke? Why do surgeons smoke? Um, what what's the policy on smoking in the hospital on you know ways that can prevent people from starting and help people quit that's where my mind was not sort of at the bedside helping a, a surgeon uh, uh, be treated for cancer um, and, and if you're if that's where your head is if that's really what drives you to get up in the morning to think about better ways to prevent disease then what you're beginning to think about is preventive medicine, <clears throat> you, you know, that's not saying you shouldn't be spending time taking care of the patients. We need outstanding clinicians, but to really improve health outcomes in entire communities, we need also to think about the public health. and physicians are in an amazing position to do that. They are respected, one of the most respected professions out there and are in a great position to help communities with policies and programs that that can really be effective in making uh, where you live a healthy place. And then spend time seeing patients and, and getting the benefits of direct patient care also. What do you wish primary care physicians knew about what you're doing day in and day out as a general preventive medicine physician to better help their patients and better help you? Well, uh, again, I'd go back to uh, encourage anybody practicing primary care to recognize that there is this entire public health system out there. Many primary care physicians know that because you'll you'll often see a patient who has an infectious disease and that, that needs to be reported to the public health department to do contact tracing. I mean, a good example is, you know, right now, chances are uh, nearly every physician is going to uh, interact with uh, patients who either have fear of or risk of exposure to coronavirus. And you need to have a partnership with your local health department, many of which have physicians as medical advisors to understand how to 
do isolation and quarantine and really take a public health approach. Um, the other thing is, if you find yourself as a primary care physician dealing with an obese kid um, who you know is struggling, mom and dad just don't seem to be able to figure this out, think about what's going on in the community that could, we could do better uh, with to help kids um, lead healthy and active lives. And I interviewed uh, with a medical student uh, uh, on a project. We interviewed uh, practicing pediatricians and asked them uh, what they thought about dealing with kids struggling with obesity. And they said they knew that there were resources and that they knew that these resources are effective, but they just didn't have time to promote the, the work outside of the clinic. They were so busy taking care of patients that they didn't have time to think about, you know, after school programs and changing the rules on, on physical education so that it's not just an elective, that it's a requirement and that it's not just standing around, you know, dodging balls, but it's actually doing physical <laughs> activity and, um, you know, and learning healthy living. And that it includes advice on healthy eating as well as active lifestyle. But the physician just said, that's just not my job description. So I would encourage primary care physicians to understand that that is in someone's job description. There are physicians in communities who are trying to work on those and reach out, find people who are working in public health and and offer your assistance. Because if there's a policy, if you're trying to change a recess policy, uh, there was a school in my community that just got rid of recess. It was too inconvenient <laughs> to have to have kids, you know, dress up, go outside in the snow and stand around. So they just and also with testing, we wanted more seat time, more more time to, for kids to learn, uh, you know, prepare for standardized tests. And what a great opportunity for physicians to come together and say that's not acceptable. As pediatricians, as family medicine, primary care providers, we, we need help. Schools need to be places where kids get healthier and educated, not where they, you know, sit in a seat for eight hours and, you know, uh, and learn, but don't, you know, really don't learn about healthy, healthy living. So I, I think that would be the, you know, understanding that there are people out in the community and that they can partner with them and be of great assistance. What do you like the most about being a preventive medicine specialist? I really love the uh, dynamic nature of it. Uh, you know, it, it, the public health uh, challenges are, uh, the CDC director called them wicked health problems. <laughs> they are incredibly complex. Just think about the opioid epidemic, mm. its origins, uh, the, you know, the methods for uh, control prevention and control. Uh, yes, we have tremendous patient care challenges, but thinking about the opioid epidemic, that wasn't a concern 10 years ago. We, were, we didn't have awareness of of the problems that were present in communities that led to physicians prescribing opioids and patients uh, seeking them. And all of a sudden we have this tremendous opioid epidemic. And you can go on and on, childhood obesity. What an incredibly complex problem, not gonna be solved in the clinical setting. And then adolescents and adults with uh, morbid obesity, the rates of morbid obesity body mass indexes of 40, 50, 100, uh, 
those are now common in society. And how are we going to solve that problem? So I've worked on a lot of these issues with communities and with state health department on thinking about how do we help in communities structure what we call a sure condition so that people can live long and healthy lives. What are the policies and programs we need that guide people so that we the healthy choice becomes the easy choice and not something that's really hard to do. And, and so I, I, to me, I've, I've worked on a variety of health problems. They're not simple. It's complicated. Uh, and, and also for me personally, I like the fact that it involves communicating uh, with, uh, uh, with the public uh, and with practitioners and with um, policymakers. So that is something that I found that I had interest in early on, and I, uh, I now teach a course in communicating public health information effectively. And so we teach our medical students who are doing our dual degree and, and other MPH students and our preventive medicine residents how to really become effective communicators. Not so much focused at the bedside with patients. that You learn that in medical school. But how do you do it uh, with mass media, with journalists, with um, community groups. How, how do you uh, do a radio interview and or a podcast? I mean, I think it would be great for all people trained in preventive medicine uh, to be able to participate in or or in their community, uh, bring people together and share information and really build a culture of health. Um, you know, as they also may be seeing patients day to day. What do you like the least? Meetings. <laughs> we spend a lot of time in meetings, and uh, I. That's really important because there are lots of things to talk about. You bring diverse groups together. Uh, I I spent ten years as the associate dean for public health. That was a position we created in the medical school uh, when we transformed to a school of medicine and public health, and um, there were a lot of. Uh, opportunities for me to meet with people, to talk about public health, and, and it's important, but I, I would sort of see that as the necessary uh, part of a, of, a, of a position. I like engaging with community groups. I really like dealing with problem solving. My favorite um, uh, uh, projects are where we look at data and information and figure out how to communicate it. In fact, we developed a program called the County Health Rankings. Uh, for When I was at CDC, I noticed when you published a list and you ranked the health of states, uh, people paid attention. In fact, I got into trouble ranking states from healthiest to least healthy for heart disease, and the senator from Michigan did not take kindly to the fact that his state was ranked last and threatened the CDC director with eliminating the budget if they ever ranked again. It was my idea. Um, I heard that and I thought, wow, ranking can really help draw attention to the problems. Yes, it's politically challenging and um, some people don't like it, but I thought it was better to bring attention to problems than to ignore them. And so we developed a state health, a county health ranking in Wisconsin, did that for about six years. And then Robert Wood Johnson Foundation saw that and then develop the national uh, program where there are 50 state uh, county health rankings in all 50 states. Um, and this is 
we're now in the coming into the tenth year, eleventh year actually. Uh, it's released every March, and so just you know, if you're right about this time, look for county health rankings, or you can go to the uh, website and and Google county health rankings for your state. You can see how the health of your community compares to the health of others, and that really uh, embodies my passion for using information on the health of an entire community to figure out how healthy your community is. And then while we were doing that, we said, well, we shouldn't just rank, the term was rank them and spank them. We should <laughs> literally, I mean, that's what we were accused of, was just ranking them, rank them and spank them and don't offer a helping hand. So a year or two into this program, we developed the roadmaps program that goes along with the rankings. And the roadmap is the handshake, which is, well, you have a challenge in this community. What can you do to improve the health of the community? And it looks at evidence-based programs and talks about the coalition approach and the what we call the action cycle for a healthy community. And it really is a great approach of defining a problem, how healthy is your community, and then what programs work and how do you get those programs into place? And that sort of, that was a program I worked on for a decade. It's still going on. The, there's new leadership in, in, uh, in, the, in our Population Health Institute. And it just gratifies me to see something that came from, you know, uh, almost losing my job at CDC now actually is, is a way to call attention to the health uh, disparities and inequities we see within, this, uh, within each state. It sounds like after talking to you and, and listening to everything that preventive medicine does and, and where all the tentacles go, it sounds like preventive medicine should be more included in medical school and that medical school curriculum. It, sh it should be something that every physician has an understanding of. Why haven't we gotten to that place yet? Well, I think it's hard to... Uh, first of all, to learn how to be a clinician is requires a lot of work. Um, I know I experienced it. The two years of basic science training that we had were intense. And then the third year was an intense exposure to clinical uh, training. And then also you're thinking about what type of specialty do you want to be in. And all of a sudden you're a fourth year student and the curriculum is packed. It's really hard to to step back and say, well, why don't we insert a program here about uh, about policy process or about epidemiology? Um, there are some board questions on it, but by and large, you can get away training uh, medical students to be outstanding clinicians without much public health content. And so I, I think that's one thing is the competition to what it takes to train outstanding clinicians. And we all want our physicians to be outstanding clinicians in diagnosis and treatment. So I, I think that's a challenge. Many programs have said to really do a good job. If you want to be a physician trained equally in preventive medicine and clinical medicine, you should probably take an extra year and do a dual degree program. And we see that with our medical students. They, they come in and they pretty much are convinced right away that they want to develop full competency during medical school in that other part of their practice. And so they want to be outstanding clinicians, but also to, 
to practice, be able to practice preventive medicine in public health. And so it's hard to squeeze it into the four-year curriculum. So uh, students will take an extra year. There are downsides to that. There's often t- extra tuition. There's another year of training. There's, you know, time away from your medical training. So there are challenges, but I think I think that's what uh, many medical students uh, will do who are interested in, you know, not only being outstanding clinicians, but doing more for their patients and, and communities. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this thinking that now they might be interested in preventive medicine? Well, I'd say two things. First is uh, preventive medicine embraces a set of competencies, and those competencies really sort of begin where the patient interaction ends. And so if you find yourself thinking, how would I, um, how would I get recess back into the school? Think about what it would take to do that. Think about what it would take to create an environment for your patients uh, to be healthier. And all those things from defining the problem using epidemiology to finding programs that work, that getting people together in coalitions and understanding how policy happens and and going to meetings occasionally and uh, being part of the process. Um, those are the things that you could learn along the way and be not just an outstanding clinician, but also be a leader in your community. But if you find yourself really drawn to those, so when you get up in the morning, you have a a day of patient care, but you're really interested in doing more community work, um, really what we call upstream, uh, figuring out ways to keep communities healthy, healthy and work in partnership. And that all of a sudden starts taking not just evenings and weekends, but you want to spend a couple of days or even your entire career on that, preventive medicine is the specialty for you. That some people come to that decision after a full training in family medicine. We've had pediatricians, family medicine, emergency medicine doctors come into our program and do preventive medicine. But if it comes to you uh, during medical school or during a clinical residency where you step back and say, I just don't see myself you know, seeing patients five days a week. I, I really would like to focus on a balanced portfolio, or maybe just I want to spend all my time doing uh, work in communities, not, not involving day-to-day patient care, but thinking about how to change communities to be healthier. Then look at the American College of Preventive Medicine website. Look at residency programs. Uh, in your state or uh, in your region, and and knock on the door of a preventive medicine doctor and talk to him or her uh, about what they do in in, in every day. You'll find that it's a great variety, uh, but if you find something that piques your interest, um, do an ele- do an elective, uh, get some experience yourself, and s- see if it fits. All right, so there you have it again, Doctor Remington from the University of Wisconsin Madison Preventive Medicine program. I hope this opens your eyes to some preventive medicine. We've talked about preventive medicine uh, a bunch on this podcast. I think it is a very underutilized, underappreciated specialty that has a lot of real world implications. I know my job in the Air Force as a preventive medicine specialist, as a flight surgeon, 
I was a public health emergency officer for the base uh, right outside of Boston, Hanscom Air Force Base. And we were prepared to handle these pandemics and, and outbreaks and biological warfare. I was the one kind of in charge of making sure that our plans were in place and we were ready. And preventive medicine kind of gets into that when you get into some public health stuff and occupational health. And it's a, it's a really, really, really interesting specialty. Uh, that that many people don't know about and don't think about. So go check it out. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned next week where we talk to an academic transplant hepatologist. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.